Welcome to The Bear on KCRW Berlin. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. Each month, The Bear hosts an event where people are invited to share stories centered around a certain theme. And each month, we bring you some of our favorite stories from the evening. The theme of today's show is paper. It's an ordinary object that can spark some pretty extraordinary memories. The true personal stories you'll hear tonight were recorded on November 22nd at Centrum Danzigerstrasse 50 in Penzalabeg. Berlin musician Felix Kummel performed music live. Storyteller Ben McGuire is first up on this evening's show. His story is called Mustafa. Felix, are you going to join me? Yeah. Cool. Mustafa. She was gripping me like a vice. And when I say she was gripping me like a vice, I'm not exaggerating. I knew intuitively she had a knife in her pocket. I could feel it in my belly. The sense of vulnerability that that was the part of me that I needed to protect. Three nights ago, I flew back from Australia and I stopped in Abu Dhabi on the way for a night there to break up the journey. My flight back to Dusseldorf was at two o'clock in the morning and I stepped out of my friend's apartment at midnight down onto the street to get a cab. I'm waiting for a cab and then out of the darkness, this woman approaches me. She slips towards me out of the shadows. She's got long, dark braided dreadlocks, beautiful lips and a little beauty spot right there. She walks straight up to me and she grabs me by the shirt and says, give me money. She gripped me really, really tight. I don't know what to do. Okay, I'll give you money, but you have to let me go. She wouldn't let me go. And then I see her other hand, her free hand, move towards her pocket. And that's when I feel in my belly there's a knife in that pocket. My eyes follow it down and there's a lump. And I knew in that moment, whatever happens here, I have to prevent that hand getting to that pocket. So I grab her with that hand. And there we are. She's grabbing me by the shirt and I'm grabbing her by the hand and she's demanding money. I need money. I need money. I need money now. Give me your money. That's why we love Felix. <laughs> Give me your money. And I know I can do one of three things. I can try and break away and run, but that's not going to work because I have a 20 kilogram pack by my side. I know I can scream. And I think that's not going to work either because what if she's got accomplices and I just attract their attention? I have this hand free. I think I can land a punch that will free me. And then I hear my father's voice. Son, you never, ever, ever hit a woman. <laughs> I'm thinking, Dad, what if she's reaching for a knife to stab me? 
but the voice is too strong. The only thing I can do is to try and slip out of my T-shirt, which I managed somehow to do while we were all struggling. So I'm out of my T-shirt, she's holding the T-shirt, she's holding my arm, I'm holding her knife hand, and a car pulls up. Headlights, we're in the middle of the headlights, and the headlights pull aside, and the car stops, and the window winds down, and there inside is a beast. An Arab man with a huge beard and glittering eyes, and he says, what's happening here? And she says, help me, help me, he's attacking me. door opens and out steps this beast. He's not very tall, maybe this tall, but he is built like a tank. I didn't know it at the time, but I learnt later that he was Syrian bodybuilding champion. <laughs> and as he comes towards me, I'm thinking I'd probably prefer the knife. <laughs> he grabs my hand and one of hers. And he looks at both of us and she's screaming, he's attacking me, he's attacking me. And I'm just looking at him and he's looking me deep in the eyes. And there we are, the three of us, an Arab man, an Australian man and an African woman standing all holding hands in the middle of the Abu Dhabi street. <laughs> <laughs> like this, some, uh, this dance, uh, part sacred, part profane. And he looks straight into my eyes and I don't know how he knows... But something gives him the idea that I'm telling the truth when I say, no, I'm not attacking her. He breaks us apart. And I don't even really know how he does it. And he shoves me into the car, throws my bags in behind me. And he takes out 20 dirhams and he gives it to the girl. And he gets her away. He gets in the other side of the car and he says, what's happening? I said, I'm just trying to get to the airport. This woman attacked me. I didn't know what to do. And he said, it's okay, my friend. I'm Mustafa. <laughs> Mustafa says, where are you going? I say, I'm going to the airport. I need to get back to Germany. And I'm, adrenaline's pumping and I'm shaking. I've just avoided the stabbing. And I'm all over the place. I said, I just need to get to the airport. And he says, right, let's go to the airport. I said, no, it's fine. Just drop me here and I'll get a cab. I just need to get to the airport. He says, no, my friend, I'm Mustafa. <laughs> <laughs> Mustafa takes me to the airport. And on the way, I learned that he's been living in Abu Dhabi 16 years. He's come there from Syria, where he was the bodybuilding champion of Syria. He's come here to train the sheiks in their bodybuilding practices. He's got two kids. He loves Syria because here is slightly different. Here, it's about the heart. Syria is about the soul, he tells me in this broken English. We're going to the airport and most of us driving like a madman. And again, I'm thinking, maybe the knife would have been <laughs> <laughs> the better option. Driving like a madman, then he pulls out his phone. He says, here, my friend, choose music. He thru thrusts it into my hand and I'm thinking, okay, what, what do I do here? The National, playing in Berlin next week. I'm very much looking forward to it. Put that on and Mustafa turns it up really, really loud, pulls out a couple of cigarettes, starts smoking them and I'm in this surreal world. 
what's happening here? He gets me safely to the airport, takes me out of the car, takes my bags out of the car and says, you be careful. <laughs> and I say, Mustafa, how can I thank you? Is there anything I can do? Can I, a gift for your kids, what can I do, please? Even just the dirhams that you gave the, the lady who attacked me, can I give you something? He said, no. All I want you to do when you get home is call me and tell me you arrived safely. I scribble down his phone number. He tells me his phone number and I scribble it down on a piece of paper so I could call him when I get back safely to Germany. There it is. And even though I transferred his number into my phone, I can't quite get rid of this because I know Mustafa saved me. I'm not exactly sure what he saved me from, whether a, a missed flight or the lifelong regret that I would have felt had I punched that woman, or did he save me from a stabbing? All I know is he saved me from a much worse night than it otherwise would have been. It's only a piece of paper, but to me it meant much, much more. Thank you. That was storyteller Ben McGuire. This evening's show is all about extraordinary moments that come from a very ordinary object, paper. Next on this evening's program is Galu Roma. The title of her story is A Letter from Jakarta. Um... I was six and my sister was 10. We were living in a very, very small village in Jakarta, uh, in Indonesia, and it's very far from the nearest town nearby. And our family didn't have much, but we have one luxurious item in the house, and it was a TV. We have a, we have a, a very old TV that my father got from his father, his father got from his father, and etc. And we had it in, uh, in a living room, which actually the living room was just a that TV and a carpet. And uh, every day after school, after came back from school, our, uh, me and my sister need to like uh, wash the dishes, clean the house, scrap the floor, uh, help our father in the rice field. And then after that, then our mother would allow us to, uh, to watch the TV. And because uh, we live in a in a village, so the we only be able to watch one like uh, network channel. And in the afternoon, there is this uh, children show uh, that I love dearly. It's called Tralala Trilili, and it's <laughs> it's basically uh, like the children uh, from uh, all across the Indonesia can send a letter, and they can send greetings and request for song and also like tell their problem. And this horse, she's like 14 years old, will give the advice. It's kind of like dear sugar for children in Indonesia. <laughs> so at that time, my dream was like, okay, someday I will write a letter and she will read uh, my letter and give me advice. And one day I was like, tell my sister like, this is the time, like 
I will write, I will write the, the letter and she had to read it. So I wrote a letter. I still remember the letter was like, hey, I want to send greeting to my older sister, for sure. And I, I actually have a problem. Like, I, ha I hate my shoes. Like, the problem for children. I hate my shoes because it's so old, it's so ugly, there are so many holes, and I'm so envy that the, the, uh, my friends in the school has, like, very like new the newest shoes and this is even like this is the 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 old shoes from my sister so i hate it i hate it so much and i tell my sister like hey this is the time i want to send this this letter how 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 can i send it and my sister supposedly like she knew that like sending a letter meant like we need to go to the town we need to buy a stamp we need to buy an envelope and yeah we haven't have the money and it seemed like very complicated for us. And then, but instead she said to me, actually it's very easy. Like you can just like put it, uh, put your letter like under the, the, the front door. And in the morning the postman will came, uh, will come and, uh, and take it and put it in the envelope, put it the stamp and send it away. And it was like, really? This sounds super easy. And she was like, yeah, no big deal. And then like the next morning, I was like, before I went to school, like I just put it under 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 the door, and then off I went to school, and then I, I forgot about it, and then after I came back from school, like I do all the job, and then before I I uh, watch the TV, the highlight of my day, I my sister came to me, why don't you check the front door? Maybe maybe you got a reply, and I was like, I don't want reply. I want she read my letter, and then like. Because uh, like you, you better wish the same too. Because I, I send a greeting to you, uh, and I want her advice. And she was like, No, 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 it doesn't work like that. Th she received so many letters, so she cannot like, uh, she cannot read it all. But the, the best letter, she will reply. I was like, Really? That's even better. So I ran to the door, and voila, there was a letter for me. And I read it, and it, it was like, Hey, I'm the host. Like she called there. I'm there. Um, uh, uh, greeting back to your sister, and for your problem, like it doesn't really matter. It just shoes, but the most important, it doesn't really matter. The most important thing is that you have a TV, and <laughs> and and that you have a good grades in school. No idea how she know it. And then the best thing is that there is some coins, like rupiah coins, in the letter. And it's like she also give me money. And, and my sister was like, yeah, you should read in the envelope. Maybe there is a writing about money. And, she was, and I, I, I look around, it was like, yeah, P.S., with this money, you can buy one candy tomorrow at school. I was like, oh, my gosh, it's my Santa Claus. I love it so much. It's my angel. So uh, since then, like, I wrote so many letters. Depends on my mood, because basically, like, my diary. And I send it, like, sometimes once a week, sometimes, like, uh, twice a month. And... Uh, Keep doing like that. Like after a year, my sister went to boarding school, and it was like, I was devastated. Like she was like my my best friend, and yeah. And then because of that, I wrote more letters, and I was like, why suddenly the postman stopped picking up my my letters? And I asked my mom, Mom, where's the postman? Is he dead? Why he never come back? And my mom was like, uh, Yeah, no, it doesn't work like that. And I was like, I keep thinking, thinking, and thinking. And I just realized it was all my sister for a year. Fast forward nowadays, sometime like when I remember my childhood, I was so annoyed because we didn't have much. And I was so jealous with like so many of my friends. They have so many opportunities. They learned so much since they were kids that I just had nothing. And I feel like it, life is so unfair. 
And then I remember this thing and I realized that my sister spent so much money, so much money, and spent so much time to read all of my rant about her, about my friend in the school, about my shoes, my food, everything, and she replied every of them. And then I realized that actually I was very lucky. That was priceless. Thank you. That was storyteller Galu Roma. You're listening to The Bear on KCRW Berlin. And before we take a break, we have one more story. This one comes from Fabienne Lang. It's called Je. Okay, so I was, I was 23 years old and I received a letter in the mail. And it said, we look forward to welcoming you to the Seracare Center for Cerebral Palsy. And when I was holding this piece of paper, I was at the same time thrilled because I was really looking forward to moving to Shanghai, where the center was. Um, and I'd, I'd been learning Mandarin, so I was actually quite good at it, better than my German currently. Um, but I was also absolutely terrified because I hadn't been trained and nor had I ever worked with people, let alone children, with cerebral palsy. So fast forward about two months, and I find myself in Shanghai in, in the center. Now these kids were all orphans, and they ranged from the age of three until 18. And their cerebral palsy uh, varied. So for example, there was three-year-old Lu, who, when you looked at him, he, he looked like any three-year-old boy. He was bubbly, he was joyful, he, he, there was nothing that you could see on him that was any different until he stood up. And he needed his walker because he had a bit of a drag in his feet. And that was it. And then on the other scale of the spectrum, there was 16-year-old Jiao Long. And Jiao Long had come from a, an orphanage up in Beijing. So he had apparently, I'd been told, a little bit of English. Um, but Jiao Long was about this tall at 16. And I was told that's the tallest he'd ever develop. And he was incredibly tense the entire time, which made his muscles sinewy and strong, unbelievably strong. And he was all hunched and bunched on himself, but at the same time, he, he had like, these hands that were constantly in this sort of pos posture, if you can call that for hands. And his neck was at an impossible angle. His mouth was always open, which showed his unperfect teeth. And he always had a bit of drool going down his mouth because he couldn't control what was happening in his throat, on his tongue, with his voice. And so, of course, his speech wasn't very straight. It was quite garbled. It was very hard to understand what Jiao Long was saying. And I'm not proud to admit this, but when I was at the school, we were paired with different kids every day, or one or two kids, depending on how you know, severe their cerebral palsy was. And every day I kind of thought, oh, please don't put me with Jiao Long. I won't be able to, I don't know how to handle that. I, I don't understand what he's saying. So how can I possibly help him? So there was a little part of me that just thought, put me with, you know, Lu, for example. I can understand him. I'm not proud of that. But of course, one day, inevitably, um, the headmistress points me towards Jiao Long. And I sit next to him. And my heart is beating probably as fast as it is today. And all along um, the rows of the, the tables, there were sheets of paper in front of the kids. And 
they had different shapes on them. There were hearts and circles and squares, rectangles, every shape. And we were meant to help the kids draw within the lines, color within the lines. Um, and that was actually quite tricky because a lot of these kids could not control their muscles very easily. So I sat down to Long, next to Jiao Long and I picked up a bright yellow crayon and thought, okay, here we go, put it in his hand and he dropped it immediately. And I thought, oh, of course, like, hold his hand, Fabien, like, come on, like, you know this, like, he, he can't hold things properly. So I then tried again, I thought, okay, just like gently hold it because he's a 16 year old boy, like he does have his own identity, of course, so just be very gentle and just guide him towards the paper. And I, I gently tried again and held him and he dropped it again. And he started becoming a little bit agitated and frustrated. And I was like, well, of course he's frustrated, like he can't hold his pencil and he's frustrated with me. And I then started to get in a panic thinking, okay, like don't, don't worry, like we're gonna get this, it's, it's gonna work out, it's fine. He then grabbed my arm and I was blown away by the strength that his, his hand had on me and his jet black eyes locked onto mine and he started to try and say something to me. And he was imploring me with his eyes and his knuckles were going white. My arm was losing sensation for the lack of blood going to it. I was desperately trying to understand him, but the sounds coming from his mouth to me were completely indescribable. And my mind then started to race because he was imploring me. Drool was starting to go down his face quite strongly and he was pulling me closer and I felt his hot breath and my brain just thought, what is this? Is it English? Is it Mandarin? Is he talking about the pencil? Is he talking about needing to go to the bathroom? Like, what do I need to do to help him? I was panicking. He was repeating the same thing, whatever it was to me. And I, I tried to calm myself a little bit at that point. I thought, okay, well, if you panic, you're gonna panic him more. The teachers are gonna start panicking, like calm down. And as I calmed myself down a little bit, I understood he was actually repeating something to me. He was, I, I could hear the same sounds again as he was just staring at me, trying to force me to understand. And then I thought I might understand what he was saying. So I thought I would take a bit of a leap of faith. And I leant closer to him. And I said, Doe a deer, a female deer. And the biggest smile spread across his face. And he started crying tears of joy for being understood. This kid who is so rarely understood finally was able to speak English with someone. And it seemed like the longest, like three minutes of my life to comprehend this boy. And then we sang the entire repertoire of The Sound of Music together. And what I, and luckily I knew all the songs, <laughs> but what I hadn't grasped was this kid had understood she speaks English, no one else, no one in the center spoke English. She does, like she'll, she must know these songs, like I must try and get this out to her somehow. And he didn't give up and I'm glad he didn't give up because I've never been so connected to someone ever in my life as I have with Zhao Long in that moment. And I didn't care what anyone thought when we were just singing these songs from the sound of music together. And actually on that day, he taught me an invaluable lesson that I hold dear to me up until now, is that you don't always have to draw within the lines because sometimes the most colorful moments happen outside of them. Thank you. That was storyteller Fabienne Wong.
We're taking a short break. When we come back, more stories on paper. radio programs attract educated consumers and business decision makers. You can reach this highly desirable audience with your company's marketing message on KCRW Berlin. Isn't it time to make our listeners your customers? Find out how by emailing us at sponsorships at kcrwberlin.org or online at kcrwberlin.com slash sponsorships. This is KCRW Berlin. Tune in this week for the best of Amplified. When you're in a new city yourself, maybe you open up yourself too. Maybe I'm less Swedish here. <laughs> Every day during All Things Considered and Morning Edition, we highlight some of our favorite interviews with musicians from 2019. Across the Blue Ridge Mountains to the Allegheny. Be sure to tune in. We'll return with your KCRW Berlin news briefs on January 7th. Hey, you. You've been hearing and reading the news all day. So what are you getting out of it? Are you smarter, more informed, better prepared for your dinner party later tonight? Well, the takeaway has you covered. We ask the tough questions, we hold lawmakers accountable, and if something just doesn't seem right, we ask, how did we get here? It's The Takeaway with me, Tanzina Vega. Tune in to The Takeaway weeknights at 6 on 104.1 KCRW Berlin. Welcome back to The Bear on KCRW Berlin. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. On the last Saturday of every month, we bring you stories recorded live at Bear Storytelling events here in Berlin. These stories were recorded on November 22nd in Prenzlauerberg. The theme of the evening was paper and the extraordinary memories such an ordinary object can spark. The next story comes from Mike Truppiano. His story is called Hammer Time. I'm 25 years old, working on Wall Street, New York City, Manhattan, the Big Apple, high finance, rock and roll. Not really. It was a temp job, and it was a call center. <laughs> it was at a finance firm. I was helping people learn how to trade online, basically giving them passwords, setting them up. I was very good at it. Uh, desp despite being sleep deprived, I was usually out late the nights before, performing, doing theater, comedy, stand-up, sketch, improv, whatever. And then I'd have to be there at eight in the morning, an ungodly hour. And the quota was we were supposed to do 85 calls a day, and I was doing like 140. I was just so bored, and I had this rhythm down, and boom, 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 here's your password. And they liked me, <coughs> and they wanted to hire me full time. <coughs> I'd not been in New York that long, And I knew this is not what I wanted to do. This is not why I moved here. 
to be doing this type of work. And I knew I had to refuse this offer, this upcoming offer of a full-time job. But I thought, what am I going to do? I'm not exactly a high-skilled in-demand worker. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a banker. Uh, a friend of, at the time, a therapist, <laughs> said, well, what can you do right now? Make a list. What can you do right now? What skills do you have right now? I said, okay. Uh, I do yoga. I read a lot of Nietzsche. I have a fax machine. I can fax. I can write. I've won some writing prizes. I could write papers for college students. Why not? I could paint. I won a, a painting award once. Okay, that's it. He said, write it all down. Make a flyer, hang it. Okay, I'll do it. I wrote it all down. I thought, what do people in Manhattan need? Space. They need space. So the headline I put, do you need more space? At the end, I put, after the list of things I do, painting, faxing, writing papers, I put, and more. <laughs> no idea what that would be when the time came, but I wrote, and more. Printed it up, hung it around my neighborhood. Immediately, I get two calls on my voicemail. I can't believe it. And I think, oh my god. I don't know how to do any of this. <laughs> but, but I really don't want to temp anymore. You know, I really, I've wanted to work for myself for a long, long time. So I thought, I guess I got to learn how to do this stuff. I mean, I, I can paint, I can hold a brush, but I had no tools. So I had to go out and get some, I got some tools. And the job, one job was pretty straightforward. He said, can you paint an apartment? I said, sure, no problem. But the next one, he said, can you lay a linoleum floor? I said, sure. <laughs> no idea how to you know, linoleum. I vaguely remember what linoleum is. And what am I going to do? I thought, you know what? I'll get a how-to book. I go to a bookstore. I get a how-to book. Buy it. Go home. I read it a little bit. I think, boy, I'm not going to be able to remember all this. Maybe i got to take it with me. So I schedule this guy, this linoleum floor guy, very nice guy in the neighborhood. I go there. I got the book in my backpack with my newly bought tools. I'm like, hey, how's it going? This is the, f this is the area. I was like, yeah, that's, that's pretty typical. <laughs> I really did not want to temp anymore. And I'd taken a lot of comedy improv, so I thought, I can wing this. <laughs> Just yes and, this whole thing. 
So I'm looking at the floor, and I'm thinking, you know, I read this book, and I still don't know how to do this floor. So I thought, okay, I got the book. I say, hey, where's your bathroom? <laughs> it's over there. I go in the bathroom, manically, maniacally looking through this book. I get, I think, okay, I at least got the first thing. I got my knife cutter. Just the day before, I was at the, at the hardware store saying, what tools do I need to lay a floor? <laughs> and how, give me some tips how to do it. I said, I got the book. So I'm in the bathroom. I think, okay, I can do this first part. On the other side of this door is a guy who thinks I know exactly what I'm doing. So I go back out there, I start cutting, and I realize, well, this is not so bad. You can cut right through this stuff. It's very thin. I know how to use a tape measure. This is not so difficult. Then there's an angle, a little other thing. I go back in the bathroom. I look through the book again. Okay, I got it. Go back out. I say about five times I go in and out of the bathroom. In about, in about four hours. He's puttering around looking over at me. I said, yeah. Drank too much water. A couple hours later, I'm looking at it shocked because it looks pretty good. And he says to me, well, that's great. Thank you so much. Did you go to school for this? <laughs> I said, yeah, I did. <laughs> Thank you. That was Mike Trippiano. The final story on this evening's show comes from Rachel Jennings. It's called The Trap. I'm lying in bed, attempting to nap, on a hot, soupy Brooklyn summer day. This is made quite difficult by the loud salsa music pounding through the window. I'm, it was a li late night the night before, and my throat and mouth are bone dry. I'm thinking about getting up for a glass of water when I hear it. Meep, meep, meep. A barely audible squeaking coming from somewhere in the bedroom. I get up, scanning every corner of my room, knowing it must be coming from somewhere. I've heard when you're extremely dehydrated, you can hallucinate. Can you hear things that aren't there when you're extremely hungover? I've returned to bed, confused and disorientated, when I notice something moving in the bottom of the wardrobe. I walk over slowly, my heart thumping in my ears. I get closer. I realize what it is. It's a tiny mouse caught on a glue trap. A glue trap is essentially a piece of paper with glue on it. The, it just catches the mouse alive. The landlord must have left it there unbeknownst to us. We were then faced with the dilemma, what to do with the little guy? I can remember a family party in my house when I was seven years old. 
all of the extended family had gathered to celebrate my first Holy Communion. I was sitting in the kitchen playing in my white frilly dress when I saw it. A big black rat darting through the garden, coming towards me. I let out a blood-curdling scream. My dad came running in in a panic. When he realized what it was, he just chased it off with a broom. I can still remember the panic I felt that day. It wasn't just mice and rats I was afraid of back then. I was kind of afraid of humans too. I was so shy that on family holidays, my mom had to ask kids if they'd be friends with me. This was surprisingly effective, but it came with a time limit. For an eight-year-old, it's kind of cute. For a 16-year-old, not so much. <laughs> By the time I got to university, I pretty much had this under control. If one of my new friends heard that I described myself as shy, they'd laugh at me. But it wasn't until I moved to New York at age 18 that things really started to shift. Now, in New York, rats are everywhere. They're in the, on the subway tracks. They're on the footpath. They're in the parks. The first few weeks were pure terror. Having to encounter my deepest, darkest fear on a daily basis. But after a few weeks of this, the fear started to lose its chokehold on me. When I saw the rats playing around in the subway, I became curious about them and started to see it at like a kind of a free zoo that was just there for <laughs> my amusement. Also, my other fears started to fade. If you're Irish in New York, for some reason, everyone wants to be your friend. <laughs> Bartenders used to give me whiskey just because I was Irish. This is not a good business model. <laughs> rats on the street, that's one thing. Mice in the apartment, that's another ball game. My friend and roommate, Sarah, wasn't as much afraid of mice as I was. We had mice in our flat in Dublin, and she thought they were kind of cute and gave them nicknames like Chewy. She generally dealt with the mice, and the, the system worked. Mice in New York, they were a bit different, though. They were New York mice, and they had a New York attitude. I once watched a mouse drag an entire Pringle across the floor while I sat there meters away reading a book. I could practically hear it say, hey, I'm walking here. When we found the mouse on the trap, we should have rejoiced. These guys were our nemesis for the past few weeks. But my heart was broken as I watched him panicked and struggling. After much deliberation, we decided we have to drown the mouse. In what must have seemed like a bizarre pagan ritual, we filled a bucket of water and brought it to the window. Sarah lifted the trap up to the window, giving her friend one last glimpse of the blue sky, lowered it into the water, and held it until it stopped struggling. Fear is a beast with many tentacles. If you attack one, 
the other ones start to weaken too. There's something about the alchemy of having your best friend by your side and facing your worst fears every day that really helped me tame mine. By the end of that summer in New York, I felt invincible. I also learned a valuable lesson. While some fears are made to be conquered, others are better delegated. Thank you. That was Rachel Jennings, our final storyteller for this evening's show. These true personal stories were recorded live at The Bear on November 22nd at Centrum Danziger Strasse 50 in Prenzauerberg. The Bear was created by Diane Nyman and inspired by The Moth. You heard live music in this evening's show from Felix Komal. Our show's theme is I Need Love, remixed by DJ Spectre. The first Bear live show in the new year will be on January 17th at the same venue, Centrum Danziger Strasse 50 in Prenzauerberg. So if you would like to tell a story or attend the next Bear Storytelling Evening, go to kcrwberlin.com slash thebear for more information. I'm Sylvia Cunningham. Thanks for tuning in and happy holidays. Thank you.